And I want to start out today by asking you a very simple question. Why is waiting so hard? Why is waiting so hard? Whether it's waiting in line, waiting for a return phone call, waiting for a diagnosis, waiting for an answer to prayer, or just waiting to go to the bathroom. <laughs> waiting is so difficult. And I don't know about you, but I know for me in my life, there's times that I struggle with waiting. I struggle with waiting on God in particular. I mean, I get it that His timing is perfect and His ways are, are absolutely perfect, but in the moment, in the situation, when you're wrestling with God, waiting sometimes is so hard. And this year in 2017, for my wife and I, this year has been the year of waiting for us. The year of waiting, saying, God, what are you doing? Where are you taking us? What are you doing in our life in all of these different situations? And to be honest with you, when we take a step back from all the waiting we've done, it's quite discouraging. So what about you? How do you handle waiting in your life? Let me ask you another question. How are you waiting on God today? Are you waiting for God's healing touch in your life? Or are you waiting for his healing touch in someone else's life that you care so deeply about? Are you waiting on God to open up a new door of opportunity for you with a job or your finances? Or, or maybe you're graduating from high school and, and you're saying, God, what's next for me? What am I supposed to do in this next chapter of my life? Are you waiting for God to heal a broken relationship? Are you waiting for God to break down those walls between you and another person so that healing can take place? In what area of your life, my friend, are you waiting on God? See, this morning we're going to look at a passage of Scripture of people who waited on God for a really long time. And we're going to go through their life, we're going to look at it, and we're going to see what happens when we don't wait on God through their mistakes. But we're also going to see towards the end how God takes mistakes, selfishness, and he makes something absolutely beautiful at it as well. And so if you have your Bibles with you today, if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, right there, very first book of the Bible. And if you have one of the pew Bibles in front of you, feel free to open it. I will tell you right now that what I read does not match up with what your pew Bible says because I'm going off of the NIV version of the Bible, not the ESV. And as you read, you'll understand why. So when we look at the story that we're going to look at today, it's the story of Hagar, Sarai, and Abram. And when you look at it with a modern lens, you really could say that it is like a modern-day dramatic soap opera. Listen to this. You have a wife who shares her husband with her maid because she couldn't have a baby with her husband. Then when the maid gets pregnant, the wife represent, resents the maid because she's given her husband the one thing that she could have always wanted. So she's ticked off at the maid, she's ticked off at her husband, she's mad at the world because it's a giant, just dramatic mess. So then the wife, being in a soap opera that she is, says, no, God, you're going to pick between who's right, that dirtbag of a husband of me, or me who came up with this whole crazy plan. When you look at it from a modern lens, it's crazy. It's probably a show some of you might watch. And people say that the Bible is boring. Come on. So when we don't wait on God, when we do things in our own timing and in our own ways, do you know what happens in our life as well? 
is often drama in our life. When we handle things in our ways, what we do is we short-circuit God's plan and will for our lives. And I think this quote says it so well, and I'm going to continue to give this to you over and over today in our message, and here's what it is. The only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing that you had. Let me say that to you once more. The only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing that you had. And as we see in the text this morning, our God has an amazing plan. He has an amazing purpose for every one of our lives here today. But sometimes we decide that we know better and we handle things in our way and then we go back and look at it. We wish we would have done it God's way. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first fill-in on your outline is that when we refuse to wait on God, the result often is discouragement. And when we look at the text, that's exactly what happens with Sarai and Abram, what we were dealing with this morning. So look at what it says. Very first part of verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. In this day in particular, not having children meant you had no heirs. And not having children also brought a measure of shame on top of the obvious discouragement that they must have gone through as husband and wife who desired to have children of their own. Scripture tells us that Abram at this time was 85 years old and Sarai was 75 years old. Maybe just a few years past the typical time of childbearing, even in a time of the world when people lived a little bit longer. Pick up in the next part of verse 1. But she, Sarai had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Stop there for just a moment. Hagar, the maidservant, was viewed as, in effect, as one of Sarai's personal pieces of property. Any children that Hagar might bear to Abram would legally belong to Sarai in accordance with the customs of the day. So Sarai, in really what I believe, what a moment of desperation, says, husband, if I can't give you this child that both of us so desire, I'll have one of my servants become, in essence, a surrogate mother. How discouraging it must have been for them. How discouraging it must have been for Sarai. In times of waiting, in times when things aren't going the way that we expect that they should or desire that they would, often we wrestle with discouragement as well. Whether it's in our thought life or in the actions, discouragement starts to weigh us down. It distracts us from God's best and it clouds our perspective with which we see the world. Look at how discouragement clouded Sarai's perspective on life and on God in verse 2. She says that the Lord has kept me from having children. Look at what that says. Let me say that once more. Don't miss that. She says the Lord has kept me from having children. That's where we get our second point for this morning, is that when we refuse to wait on God, we also get resentful. Can you hear the resentment in her heart and in her statement? The Lord has kept me from having children. He is the reason. Both the ESV and the New Living Translation use the phrase presented, prevented me. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. When you go back to the original text in the Hebrew, The word used here is atzar, which means to shut up, withhold, or stop. So in essence, what Sarai is saying is she's resentful, and she's blaming God for not providing them a child, for not hearing her cry, for not answering her prayers. Resentment can be such an ugly thing in our lives, can't it? 
in the context of the text, Sarai was resentful towards God. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there in your life? Were you resenting God, resented God for allowing something to happen in your life or not allowing something else to happen in your life? See, resentment for Sarai, it went towards God. The text doesn't say it, but I imagine just having lived life a little bit, that her resentment went from not just God, but to her husband, to the people that were surrounding her in her life. And I imagine that every single person in her life knew her resentment and knew the discouragement that she was wrestling with. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there in your life where resentment has taken root deep in your heart? Maybe you've gone through a sickness. And although God healed you, he didn't give you the opportunity or the ability to do all that you used to be able to do. And so anytime you see someone else doing something that you used to be able to do, that resentment just rears its ugly head in your life like that. Or sadly, maybe you've gone through a divorce in your life. And anytime someone talks about divorce, or in particular, anytime you think of that dirtbag of an ex that you have, resentment just starts to go in there. And you can't look about anything of that relationship without having hatred and dismay. And anyone or everyone associated with that relationship knows how bitter you've become. Or maybe, maybe for you, the resentment came from a job. That you gave your all to your place of employment and, and you worked and you worked and whether they laid off or they didn't give you the raise or they didn't treat you with the respect that you thought you deserved. And so anytime you talk about your workplace, anytime you talk about your coworkers, you have resentment. And you have these vile things that come out of your mouth as you talk about those people. See, the stench of resentment has a lasting odor. And it doesn't just stick on you, it sticks on everyone that surrounds you. See, one reaction to resentment, and the reaction that Sarai had in our text this morning, is that her resentment moved into control. Sarai refused to wait on God. She took things into her own hands and came up with the perfect plan from her perspective. She decided she would control God. And that's the next fill-in on your outline. Look at how the text continues. She says, go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps we can build a family through her. It's as if Sarai looks at the whole situation and she says, yes, God, I know that you promised to my husband that our descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. God, I know that you promised us an heir. God, I know that you've kept your promises. But God, right now, I'm tired of waiting. God, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried to be faithful. But God, why aren't you answering my cry? God, I want a baby. God, I need a baby. God, why haven't you answered my prayer? God, I'm old. God, what is going on in my life? And in her attempt to control the situation, she created this giant mess of a life, and unknowingly she opened herself and her family to anguish and pain. How often do we do that in our lives? How often do we try to control a situation and actually make more of a mess out of it than had we allowed God to work in that situation? I know this isn't a question that you want to answer publicly, but are you a controlling person? Do you try to control the people around you, whether it be your spouse, your children, or your adult children, or your, your neighbor, or the lady at the grocery store, or every single person in your life? Do you try to control any and every situation in your life? 
Let me step on your toes a little bit. How's it going for you? And let's go from the people that we surround ourselves with to even something bigger. Do you, in your life, try to control God? That in your efforts to control him, you've created this small little box to keep our God in. What I would call the comfort box. That I'll keep God in this box because this is what I know. This is what I'm comfortable with. So this is what I believe. The God that created the heavens and the earth, that spoke the world into being, can fit into this little teeny box that I can understand and fathom and so that I can control God. Maybe your control of God doesn't have to do with the comfort box, but your attempt to control God comes in a whole different way. Where you say, God, I'll give you this area of my life. Yeah, I I like that grace thing, so I want forgiveness of my sins, but God, I'm still going to go dabble in those things that I used to do because, well, they're fun. And and I know that your love letter to us says that we're supposed to not do this, this, and this. But God, you don't really know what you're talking about because that's really fun. And so you try to control God, and you give him one part of your life, but you don't give another. You give him one part, but you hold on to that secret sin that you hope that you never get caught, and that you hope nobody ever knows about you, because it's just too entrenched in your heart and in your life. Or maybe you say, you know what, God, I'll give you my life, and I'll experience the grace and forgiveness, but I'm going to hold on to my pocket. Because, God, I'll give you part of my life, but I'm not going to give you my finances because, God, I earn all that money. I'm the one that works so hard. It's all mine. And, God, I can't give anything back to someone else or to your ministry. So, God, I'm going to control my pocketbook just as I control those other areas of my life. Because, God, if I let you in that part of my life, it's going to get awkward. It's going to get uncomfortable. And so we try to control Remember, the only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing that you had him. And when we refuse to wait on God, we deal with discouragement. We wrestle with resentment, and at times, our response is to try to control the entire situation. Look at what the last part of verse 2 says. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. A very simple sentence with a profound consequence. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Yet another example in scripture, in particular in the book of Genesis, where a man was being called to be something and they didn't do it, which was be the leader. This isn't a filling on your outline, but I believe it's something in particular, gentlemen, that's worth writing down. Is that when we refuse to wait on God, sometimes we forget who we are. Now don't get me wrong. At this point, Abram had to have been questioning, did God really give me that vision? Was God really serious that my descendants would outnumber the stars? Abram at this time was 85 years old. He was no longer a young buck, just as Sarah had dealt with the strain and disappointment of not having an heir. So too did Abram wrestle with that over and over again. In fact, just one chapter before the passage we're studying today, It talks about how Abram said, God, I remain childish. God, you have given me no children. Abram was disappointed, but it doesn't mean that his disappointment meant that he wasn't supposed to lead his bride. And just because it was common culturally does not mean that it was right in God's eyes. Hear this, my friend. Gentlemen, hear this, please. Just because our culture says that something is acceptable doesn't mean that it's acceptable in our God's eyes. 
Just because Sarai came up with this brilliant plan in her eyes doesn't mean that it was God's best for their marriage or for their future. And men, in the same way, in a politically correct world, where our culture is doing everything it can to minimize or silence our God-given roles as leaders in our homes, we need to stand up and lead our wives, lead our families according not to what Hollywood or the media says, but what is acceptable in God's love letter to us, to what is God calling us to do in our lives, what is true, what is noble, and what is right. And Abram, although he was a mighty man of faith, in this instance, he chose not to wait on God. He chose not to trust in him or in his ways. He chose not to lead, but to be led. He followed the lead of his wife, Sarai, and he settled for less than God's best. Man, how often have we done that in our lives? Look at verse 3. Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years. For 10 years, Abram had, 10 years ago, Abram had received the vision from the Lord that his descendants would outnumber the stars. Abram and Sarah had been waiting on God. They had been waiting. They had been pleading. They had been holding their breath. Oh, God, hear our cry. Oh, God, show your faithfulness. Oh, God, answer our prayer. For ten long years, nothing. Silence. Ten years of resentment, day after day, week after week, year after year of resentment and anguish and anger. Ten Years of waiting on God and nothing happened in their life. Friend, how long have you been waiting on God? Has it ever felt like God doesn't hear, out your, hear your cry? Maybe you're here today and Abram and Sarah's story of infertility resonates with you because it's your story that you've watched as family and friends have no problem having children. And although you're happy for them, you also resent them because that's the one thing, that one thing that you desire in your life, an heir, a little baby to hold and to love and to raise. And you're filled with anxiety. And, and although you and your, your spouse have had some beautiful times, now that time is so stressful and filled with anxiety and you don't even know what to do. And you cry out to God and you say, God, why? Friend, if that's you today, can I tell you with the most sincerity and sensitive a heart, our God hears your cry. Our God knows that burden. Our God holds every tear that rolls down your face in the palm of his hand. Our God knows the hurt and he knows the disappointment that you're wrestling with and that you're going through on a daily basis. Maybe for you, Maybe for you, you've been waiting for years, decades even, for the salvation of a spouse or a child. And at this point, it seems like they're going further and further and further away from God's best rather than being drawn closer to Him. Maybe you're single today, and all you want is someone to love you. All you want is someone to cherish you. All you want is someone just to hold you. And you've asked God, why, God, why haven't you supplied that person in my life? You still wait, and you wait, and you wait. Maybe for you it has to do with your professional life. 
And you've been knocking on that door of opportunity. You say, God, I'm ready for something new. And although you knock and you knock and you knock, God doesn't open that door and you're saying, why, God? Why am I still waiting? Friend, I don't know what you're waiting on. I don't know where you're looking for God to work in your life. And I don't know how long you've been waiting, if it's been weeks or months or years or decades. But I know from my own life that waiting is so hard. But I do know this, that the only thing that is harder than waiting on God that you had. See, God has called us as Christ followers to persevere, to persevere and to wait on his perfect timing. Search scripture and you will find so many verses about persevering. Check out James chapter 1 verse 12. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Romans chapter 5 verse 3 through five says more than that we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us I love what that verse says it says endurance produces character and character produces hope. But yet, when we go back in our text, Abram and Sarai had lost hope. They had waited for ten long years, and in their suffering, in their disappointment, in their discouragement, in their anguish, in their old age, they could wait no longer. Pick up the text in verse 3 again, and listen to what it says. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for ten years, Sarai, his wife, took his, her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Now understand that this was pe perfectly legal in Abram's day. If a woman was childish, she could give her maid to her husband, and the born in that union would be considered a legitimate heir. It's almost as if it was their way to kind of help God out a little bit. It's a way to kind of get things started, because remember, God had promised them the descendants that would outnumber the stars. Only God didn't need their help. And their scheme only made things worse, not better. I would read one place that describes what Abram and Sarah were trying to do as a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. Or said differently, it's man's way of controlling a situation in their timing because they refuse to wait on God to carry out his will in his timing. Have you ever been there in your life? Where you take control of the situation only to find out that your control made the thing worse rather than it made it better. See, that's why waiting on God is so important. That's why God says in Isaiah chapter 55 verse 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, God had made a promise to Sarai and Abram. And our God never goes back on his promises. Let me say that once more. Our God never goes back on his promises. Our God is a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. And the problem for Abram and Sarai was that they refused to wait on God to keep his promise. They couldn't wait for him to act. See, when we refuse to wait on God, we get discouraged. 
Resentment seems to grow into us. We respond by trying to control the situation. And what often follows is one simple thing that many of us struggle with, which is anger. We get angry. Look at verse 4. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. When Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is now in your hands, Abram said. Do with her what you think best. Now Sarai mistreated Hagar. Do you see how anger reared its ugly head in the passage there? First, you have Hagar who now despises her master or her mistress. Commentators offer a couple conclusions of what's going on in the passage here. One perspective is that Hagar hated Sarai for putting her in that position. Another perspective is that Hagar had this aura of self-righteousness. It's almost like she stood up just a little bit taller and looked over at Sarah and said, I gave him what you couldn't. I'm giving him a baby and you couldn't, old lady. Could you imagine how that went? Could you imagine the tension and the hostility that was going on in that household? Could you imagine the daggers? that were coming from Sarai to Hagar. See, regardless of the cultural time or norms, don't you think at this point of the situation, Sarai really wished that she had never gone down that road? Which is true anytime we do things contrary to God's best. Things aren't quite as peaceful as they were when we're at the center of God's will versus when we're trying to push God's will Look at what happens in verse 5. Listen to what Sarai says. She says, you, Abram, are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. Yeah, 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 I put your servant in your arms. But now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. Abram, it's all your fault. You are responsible, Abram. And I'm hurting. And my heart hurts. And I'm jealous. And I'm dealing with all of these emotions. And it's all your fault, Abram. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny when we don't wait on God that there seems to be plenty of blame to go around? That when we don't wait on God, we seem to fall into that blame game and we point the finger at everyone else but us. And now we have a husband and we have a wife who are caught in this situation of anger and suspicion. And listen to what Abram says to her. May the Lord judge between you and me. See, that situation is chock full of hostility and suspicion. Hostility and suspicion that never would have been there had they waited on God. See, when we refuse to wait on God, we deal with discouragement. We wrestle with resentment. In turn, our response is to try to control the situation and manipulate things according to our plans. And anger seems to follow soon there. Let's pick up at the end of verse 7. So she fled from her, Hagar. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur, and an angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She says, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Look at the question that the angel of the Lord poses to Sarai in verse 8. Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? 
as I was preparing this message, has wrestled with those questions all week long. I kept asking God, why? Why, God, did you have the angel of the Lord ask that question or those questions of any questions that you could ever ask her? I mean, think about it. God already knew where she had come from. He already knew where she was going. And as I prayed about verse 8, and I read those words over and over and over, I think that God wanted Hagar to reflect on his faithfulness. That even when things in Hagar's life weren't going to go the way she wanted them or didn't make sense, our God was still faithful. And in our waiting, sometimes the best course of action for us is to reflect. That's the next fill-in on your outline. Is that in our waiting, the best course of action is for us to reflect. To reflect on where we've come from and where we're going. And sometimes in the midst of waiting, we get tunnel vision. We get so wrapped up in whatever it is that we're waiting for that we don't take the time to take a step back and see where God has brought us from and to where he is taking us today. A couple years ago, they had this craze of these pictures that would be zoomed all the way in and and you'd have to look at one little teeny part of it to try to figure out what the whole picture was. Sometimes they'd zero in on a piece of sausage and it was a pepperoni pizza or zero in on a piece of hair and it was actually a Picasso and uh, different things in that. And, And here's the thing that I thought of those pictures. Sometimes when we look at our lives, we get so zoomed in that we think about that one thing, that one thing we're trying to control, that one thing that we're trying to see God work in our lives that we forget to see the beautiful picture that God's writing in our hearts and he's writing in our lives. So maybe God today is nudging you in a way that only he can. He's saying, friend, step back from your problems. Friend, step back from whatever it is that you're waiting on God for and take a breath. And reflect. And reflect on where God has taken you from and where our God is taking you now. And ask him, God, what is it that you're doing in my heart today? What are you doing in my life today for what you plan on doing tomorrow? God, what is it that you've done in my past to prepare me for my present so that I'm ready for the future? Because to be honest with you, friend, if you call yourself a Christ follower, it's the journey that God is taking you on is far more important than the destination that you've been waiting him on him to get you to. Hagar, just like so many of us, she didn't want to wait. She didn't want to go back to where she was being mistreated. She didn't want to go back to an unhealthy situation. She didn't want to wait to see how God would turn something ugly into something beautiful. She didn't want to go back into that situation that was filled with discouragement, resentment, control, and anger. And all God was asking Hagar to do, just as all God is asking you and me to do in seasons of waiting, is submit. That's the next fill in on your outline, is submit. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. It's hard enough to wait on God. It's hard enough to wait weeks or months or years or decades and just sit back and say, okay, God, I'm waiting. But we're supposed to submit. We're supposed to submit our plans and our ple- and everything in our lives to a God. Whoa, 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 hold on. But yet that's exactly what our God is calling us to do. 
He's calling us to submit ourselves under his will, to submit our plans and our visions and everything that we have for our lives under him. Listen to this. The Hebrew word used here in our passage for the word submitting is the word anah, which means to humble oneself, to bow down. And the angel of the Lord was telling Hagar to humble herself and return to her master Sarai, to bow down, to submit to Sarai's authority over her. And in the same way for us, in seasons of waiting, God is calling us to submit, to submit to his plan and to his purpose in our lives, to submit to his ways, not our ways, to submit our desires to his desires, to humble ourselves, to resign from our self-appointed position as the king or queen of the universe, and to take a step back and say, God, if you created the heavens and the earth and you breathed life into me and every one of us in here, you must know more about my life than I know myself. And to take a step back and to submit every part of your lives to God's will. To submit your health. To submit our family. To submit our finances. To submit our futures. To submit every aspect of your lives under the direction and guidance of God. It makes me think of Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Pick up the text back in verse 10. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. Look at this last part here. For the Lord has heard of your misery. If you read that in the New Living Translation, it translated as the Lord has heard your cry. And I don't know about you, but for me, it gives me such peace to know that the God that created the heavens and the earth knows my cries. The knows that the God that created the heavens and the earth knows my pain. That he knows my misery and he knows my joys and that he's the same through it all. Verse 12. He will be talking about Ishmael. He says, he will be like a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Right here in verse 12. As we see the consequences for trying to control things and doing it in their own ways and not waiting on God. The hostility between Sarai and Hagar would be passed on to their descendants and still seen to this day today in the hostility between the Jews and the Arabs. Look at verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. See, in our waiting, God reminds us to reflect on his faithfulness, to submit to his ways. And my last thought for you this morning is to trust him. Look at what Sarah, look at what Hagar says of the Lord. She says, you are the God that sees me. Friend, that is such a powerful statement. You are the God that sees me. You are the same God that saw Hagar that saw, sees me. You are the same God that kept your promise to both Abram and Sarah and provided them an heir in your timing. And you are the same God that sees me and is acting in each of our lives according to his perfect timing. And he's calling to trust him even when it doesn't make sense. Trust him when you see nothing happening. Trust him when it appears as though he's silent. 
Trust him when you don't know where you're headed and you don't know what's happening today. Trust him. He's growing your faith and he is worthy of your trust. Let me speak into waiting for just a moment here. In particular, I'm waiting on God to act. You might not, get an an- might not be getting an answer to something that you've been seeking after God on because you're living in unrepentant sin. And because you keep going back to that vomit over and over and over again, our God is waiting for you to completely repent and stop going back to porn or whatever it is that you find yourself dabbling in. And until you do it, our God is a patient God. And he's waiting until you repent to show you what he has next for you when you rid yourself of such filth. Maybe, just maybe, you're finding today that our God is a silent God. And you've been asking for something that is not according to his will. And although you think it would be the best thing for you in your life, you've been asking, you've been pleading, you've been crying out, but God is saying, no, that's not my best for you. And although you think it would be best, and you're saying, please God, please God, our God is saying, wait on me, because I have something so much better for you. Or maybe you've just been asking God over and over again, and our God is saying, wait, my child, wait. Because my time has not yet come, but when it comes and I act in your life, I am going to do something absolutely amazing. Or maybe you've been asking God to do a healing in your life. And the healing that you're looking for is a physical kind of healing. And our God is saying, hold on, I'll get there, but I'm going to do a spiritual healing in your life first. And he wants to clean your heart and he wants to heal you spiritually so that when he does that physical healing, you will give him the glory that he rightly deserves for the healing that he will do in your heart and in your life. Friend, God is stretching your faith in this season of waiting. Our God is God. He is on the throne. He spoke this world into being. And as much as we try to understand, as much as we try to rationalize, as much as we try to explain When it all comes down to it, he is God. And we need to take a step back and say, God, it's all yours. My life, my will, my plans, they're yours, God. Work in your way and in your timing, and I will trust in you. See, when we're waiting on God, we get this. When we don't wait on God and we handle it in our own ways, we get discouraged which leads to resentment, and we decide that we know best, so we try to control the entire situation. And in our control, our anger seems to rear its ugly head because we were unwilling to wait on God. Friend, why are you unwilling to wait on God? Because what we've learned today is that when we do it God's way, He's calling us to take a step back, to reflect on His faithfulness, to reflect on where we've been and where He's taking us to reflect on how he's calling us to submit our will, our plan, our lives under him, and to trust him. Because when we trust him, he will do something absolutely amazing in your life and in my life. Let me take you back to that quote that I started with at the very beginning. The only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing that you had. Today, my friend, I pray that you will wait and you will see what our great God has for you in your life in his perfect timing, and in his perfect will. Will you join me in prayer? Father, I I think of every single one of us. We come to this place. We have different stories. God, for some of us, we've been waiting for you to do an absolute miracle, and you haven't done it. And God, we don't know why. 
And God, it becomes discouraging. It becomes hard. We get resentful. And God, we want to do things in our way. But God, we're still waiting on you. And so, Father, for those that are here today and they're waiting for a miracle in their lives, God, I pray that they will lay that miracle, that desire, that everything they've been looking for from you at the foot of the cross, and that, God, you will show them where you've taken them and where you intend to bring them. And, God, as each of us wait for you in different seasons and different ways in our lives, God, today we want to trust in you. Today, God, we want 10,000 different reasons why, God, you are in control. And so, Father, we lay whatever it is that we're waiting for, and God, we want to seek your best. We want to press into you, and we want to say, God, is this your will? Is this your purpose? Is this what you have for me today? And God, rather than looking back and saying, God, you haven't answered my prayer, you haven't answered my prayer, you haven't answered my prayer, God, may the overflow of our hearts be, God, you are a faithful God. You are a faithful God. You are a God that keeps his promises. You are a God that is at work in my life. And God, if you answer my prayer today, I will give you all the glory. God, if you answer my prayer this week, I will give you all the glory. God, if you have me wait a month, I will still give you all the glory. God, if you have me wait a year, I will still give you all the glory. God, if it's a decade, I will still give you all the glory because you are a promise keeper and you are a faithful God and you were working in my heart and you were working in my life. And so God, today in this place, as a community of believers, we give you our lives. We give you our struggles, we give you our plans, we give you every part of our lives, and we say, God, you work in it according to your will and according to your purpose, and we'll celebrate you because, God, you were worthy of all of our praise, you were worthy of all of our adoration, and there are 10,000 reasons that our hearts overflow this morning with praise for you. We love you in Jesus' name we pray, amen.